Our scripture reading this evening comes from Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. feel like you drew the short stick this evening because I'm the one that got up to preach instead of John. I don't blame you. Um, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but in all seriousness, because you weren't able to be here this morning uh, to be able to listen to the great sermon that John preached from Romans chapter 14, one that is very much applicable and very much on point and helpful for what we're dealing with in the world today. And so if you didn't listen to that, uh, I would encourage you to go back and, and listen to that this morning. Though I believe that many of you did listen to that, and I would still encourage us all to go back and listen to it. And I was privileged to sit in the, in the crowd this morning to listen to that sermon, but I know many of you have made mention of the fact that you know that I was because you could hear me singing. Um, but I realized that, that I was sitting under that microphone there, so you know, there's, that's partly why you could hear me. Just a, a secret, when you sing loud, one thing you have to watch out for is that people notice when you sing the wrong words. Um, so I may not sing well, but I do sing loud. So we'll put it that way. About 20 years ago, I had the first opportunity to give my first short devotional and my dad was, gave me that opportunity to stand up before a handful of folks and, and to give that devotional. And, and he, he gave me the opportunity to choose whatever it was that I wanted to, to speak about. Of course, he was going to help me through that and, and to develop it and to make sure that I was going to say things that were uh, truth and, and biblical and right. And I won't tell you what it was that I wanted originally to preach on because it really wasn't a very good idea. But what he pointed me to was to Romans chapter number 1, verses 16 and 17. So our text this evening, we'll look really primarily at the previous verses that lead up to this particular section. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 17, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also for the Greek. It is the power of God to salvation why is it that my dad wanted, to, wanted me to consider looking at this particular verse is that for that first devotional lesson, undoubtedly, as we think about 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and what the gospel is, it's the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ because the gospel is the central message of the Bible. It is that which we have de dedicated our lives to. It's that which we have uh, made sure that our lives revolve around, or at least we should be making sure that that's the case as Christians. And so we see Romans chapter 1 and verse number 16, and we see that it's, it's God's power. The gospel is God's power into salvation. Sometimes we ask the question, I realize that that's God's power, but is it, is it working in, in my life? Is it working in my life? And so our question for this evening, how can I tell if the gospel is working in my life? 
How do I truly know that the gospel is making an impression upon me and that my life is being changed and, and that my life is being conformed to what it should be? And so let's continue on in Romans chapter number one. We're going to back up all the way to verse number eight, and we're going to notice some things from the Apostle Paul in his opening uh, section of this letter to the church at Rome, particularly beginning in verse number eight. We're going to see some things in the life of Paul and in the, the writings of Paul that demonstrate that the gospel was working in his life. And then we're going to ask the question, well, how do we know for sure that that is indicative of the fact that the gospel is working in Paul's life. And then what does that mean for me? And so number one, consider that we see that the gospel produces thankfulness. When the gospel is working in my life, I will see that there is thankfulness that is demonstrated in my life. Notice verse number eight with me. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. It was forefront on Paul's mind. It was something that came first and foremost to his mind to be thankful. That He was readily, uh, someone that, that was readily thankful. If you look at his letters to all the different churches, you, you time and time again see his thankfulness that is demonstrated and exhibited in what he writes. Colossians chapter 3 and verse number 15, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you're called in one body, and be thankful. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse number 18, In everything give thanks. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God and Christ Jesus for you. So how do I know for sure that the gospel produces thankfulness? Remember, recalling that the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the gospel is the good news of who this Jesus Christ is. We know that the gospel produces thankfulness because we see Jesus himself giving thanks. We see Jesus giving thanks before partaking of food in Matthew chapter number 15, also in Mark chapter 8, and in John chapter number 6. We see Jesus giving thanks to the Father for hearing his prayers for the sake of others, particularly in John chapter number 11, in a time of difficulty at the loss of Lazarus, in which Lazarus' loved ones were hurting deeply. We see Jesus giving thanks to the Father for the emblems that represented his perfect sacrifice as he instituted the Lord's Supper in Matthew chapter 26 and other gospel accounts. To sum up what Jesus was thankful for, now, this is not all of what we see Jesus being thankful for, but, but it's, a, it's a nice summary, if you will. Jesus is thankful for the emblems that represented his sacrifices, that Jesus was thankful for his physical blessings, for his relationships with others, and for spiritual blessings for others to enjoy in those emblems. Jesus Christ was thankful, and he demonstrated that thankfulness in the fact that he prayed thank, prayers of thanksgiving to the Father. When I truly know Jesus and his gospel, I will be a thankful person. Do you demonstrate an attitude of gratitude or are you one that is never content? Secondly, look at verse number nine. Not only does the, the gospel produce thankfulness, but the gospel produces servant-mindedness. The gospel produces servant-mindedness. Look at verse number nine. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 19, recognized the ultimate reason to serve others. Notice what he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. He says, I make myself a servant to all for the sake of trying to win more to the cause of Christ. How do I know that the gospel produces servant-mindedness? Because I see Jesus serving as a servant 
Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon himself the form of a servant coming in the likeness of men. If we're to look back to John chapter number 13, we would see that great gospel account of Jesus stooping down to wash the feet of his disciples, the apostles, even the feet of Judas, who would later betray him. Here's Jesus, a a great servant, one who is the Lord of heaven and earth, the, the creator of the universe, and here he is stooping down to wash the dirty feet of his apostles. As you consider the gospels, as you think about Paul, perhaps talking, as later, Paul later becomes an apostle, right? Maybe he's talking to those earlier apostles. And he's, he's saying, are you telling me that, that Jesus stooped down to wash your feet? Really? Paul, maybe thinking some, something along those lines, perhaps, if you had that conversation. Paul learning about who Jesus was and seeing Jesus' servant-mindedness, no doubt, was one that was influenced by that and was able to say that he served all, 1 Corinthians 9 19, that, they, that he might win more of them. When you examine the gospel and you get down to its core and see Jesus serving you and me, we can't help but stoop down and serve others ourselves. When I truly know Jesus and his gospel, I will be a servant-minded person as well. Do you exhibit the heart of a servant in your life? If you'd rather be served than to serve others, you may not be allowing the gospel to change you. The answer to the question, how can I tell if the gospel is working in my life? Am I someone that is servant-minded? Am I someone that is thankful? Consider next, the gospel also produces prayerfulness. Verse number nine. The gospel produces prayerfulness. It began the first part of verse number nine, for God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of the Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. As Paul wrote to Timothy later on, in 1 Timothy chapter number two, he said, therefore I exert, exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all who are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in godliness and reverence. Paul encouraged Timothy, and and by implication also encourages us as well today, to be people of prayer for those that are in authority, for those that are kings, for all men, for those that might have any type of say in our life, that we might live a quiet and peaceable life. How do I know that the gospel produces prayerfulness like it did in the life of Paul? Because Jesus was a man of prayer ever thought about that? A few weeks ago, John preached from the prayer of Jesus and did an excellent job, and we considered what Jesus was praying about, what was on his mind. If you look through all of the prayers of Jesus throughout the New Testament, this isn't a a grand summation of all of those things, but there's five things that you see Jesus praying about. You see that Jesus was one that prayed for the name of God to be glorified. John chapter 17, verses 1 through 5. He prayed for the unity of all believers in verse number 11 of John 17. Jesus prayed for the lost, the forgiveness of other sins, Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. Jesus prayed for his own personal needs and desires, Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. And Jesus also prayed for the will of God to be done in that very next verse, or in that same verse, verse 42 of Luke chapter 22. If you notice, if you can compare Paul's prayers to Jesus' prayers, you see many of the same ideas being borne out in Paul's prayers. Paul prayed that the name of God would be extolled and exalted. 
2 Corinthians chapter 1, chapter 2, and chapter 9, Ephesians chapter 1, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 Timothy chapter 1. Paul prayed that the name of God would be extolled and exalted, just like Jesus prayed that the name of God would be glorified. Paul prayed and made intercession for the lost, Colossians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul prayed and desired that his people would have peace, unity, and joy, Romans chapter 15, verses 6 and 7. He prayed for his own personal needs, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 8, when thinking about Paul's thorn in the flesh. But Paul also prayed that the will of God be done, even in his own difficulties, just like Jesus prayed that the will of God be done. Paul also, in his thinking of in his writings in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, indicated that he recognized that, he, that, that God had a particular purpose for the thorn in the flesh that, that was in his life and that he was dealing with. And that Paul ultimately prayed as one that desired for the will of God to be done even in his difficulties. When I truly know Jesus and his gospel, I'll be a prayerful person. What does prayer look like in your life? If prayer is something that is an afterthought, if it's something that's not a regular occurrence, if it's something that you're weak in, you may be one that needs to check whether the, you're allowing the gospel to work in your life. Consider also that the gospel produces submissiveness. Notice verse number 10 of Romans chapter 1. Making request, if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. Paul wanted to go to them. You see that in the next verse, verse number 11, for I long to see you. He had planned to go and be with them uh, in, in a future verse as well. But it was all according to the will of God that Paul desired these things. Paul was one that was submissive. Ephesians 5, verse 21, Paul says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. How do I know that the gospel produces submissiveness? Because Christ showed submissiveness. We already referenced Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7 earlier regarding Christ's servanthood. Notice verse number 8, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even the death of the cross. Christ was submissive to the Father. He was submissive to the point that he said in Luke chapter 22, verse 41, Father, if it is your will, take, if, uh, if it is your will, take this cup from me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done, but yours be done. We see Paul as one that examined Christ and and tried to imitate Christ. Paul t tells us to imitate him as, we, as he imitated Christ. Paul strove to imitate Christ. Think about Paul's submissiveness. In Philippians chapter 3, the next page over from Philippians chapter 2, of course, Paul gave up his pedigree. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews from the tribe of Benjamin, he said in verse number 5. Not only did Paul give up his pedigree, but he also gave up his position. He said, as to the law, I'm a Pharisee. He gave up that position of being a Pharisee to follow Christ. He also not only gave up his pedigree and his position, but he also gave up his protection. He went from being one that was a persecutor of Christians to being one that was persecuted as a Christian. Paul was one that was submissive, even when it meant giving up his pedigree and his position and his protection. When I truly know Jesus and his gospel, I will likewise be a submissive person, submissive to Jesus our Lord, no matter the cost. The gospel produces desire for fellowship, desire for Christian fellowship and friendship. Paul wrote to Philipp the Philippian church in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, 
making requests for you with all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. The Hebrews writer, some presume Paul, wrote in Hebrews chapter 3 and also in chapter 10 that we ought to consider one another and to exhort one another and to build one another up. Have you ever considered that Jesus had certain individuals that were close to him? Why is that? The primary reason was because he was training these individuals to be his hands and feet after his ascension. But have you ever also considered the fact that as Jesus was fully human, that no doubt as one that was experienced the full human experience, that the need to have fellowship with others and friendship with others and relationship with others was something that was ingrained within his DNA, if you will. He had the 12, the 12 apostles. He also had the three, Peter, James, and John. He also had the one that John refers to himself as the one who Jesus loved. Jesus was also friends, dear friends, with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. But Jesus also promises that all of us can be his friends. In John chapter 15 and verse 14, you are my friends if you do whatever, whatsoever I command you. And all ultimately, Jesus said, not only that, that Jesus laid down his life for his friends. He laid down his life for all of us and we have that opportunity to be his friend as well. But all of the people in this list ultimately had the same cause and, and goal in this life to serve God, to glorify God, to bring honor to the Father. And that fellowship that we share with Christians, with those of like precious faith, is, is something different than what we share with those of the world. It's not just any relationship that we should be seeking, right? The gospel produces desire for fellowship. We're not talking about a fellowship that's just with, with people of the world, but with people of like precious faith, as we say so often. People who think like us, but not just because they think like us, but because we recognize as part of our worldview that we're ultimately trying to serve the Father. And that was what, what, what made Jesus close with the people he was close with was because he was training them and raising them up to be people that were also trying to do the will of the Father. And so we ask the question, who are your closest friends? Who do you spend the most time with? Jesus said, they'll know you are my disciples by the love that you have for one another. It's not wrong to have friends that are outside of the church that are not Christians. It's not wrong to spend a good amount of time with them. But who are your closest friends? Who are those that you truly have that connection with, that fellowship with, more so than anyone else in this world? If the gospel is working in your life, it will produce a desire for Christian fellowship because we have one goal and one purpose. When I truly know Jesus in his gospel, I'll desire and long for Christian fellowship. But also the gospel produces purposefulness in verse number 13. It produces purposefulness. If we skipped over verses 11 and 12, we see that Paul was, was writing these things. For I long to see you that I may impart to you, to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. That's what we're talking about previously, that desire for Christian fellowship. And then in verse number 13, this purposefulness. He says, now I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned, or as some translations put it, purposed to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. Some have called Colossians chapter 1, verses 28 and 29, Paul's purpose statement. Notice this purpose statement. He says, him we preach, Paul saying this, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that 
we may present every man perfect in Christ. He says, to this end I labor. He says, for this purpose I work. This is my reason for working, Paul says, that I may preach and warn every man. He says, to this end I also labor, striving according to his workings, which works in me mightily. How do I know that purposefulness is something that is produced by the gospel? Because Jesus lived a purpose-filled life, no doubt. Three consecutive chapters in the Gospel of John, we see in John chapter 4, John chapter 5, and John chapter 6, that, that Jesus communicates this. In John chapter 4, he says, My food, my meat, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. His purpose, his great object in life was to do the will of God. In chapter 5, verse 36, Jesus says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And then in John chapter 6, the next chapter, Jesus says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who has sent me. Jesus lived a purpose-filled life, and Paul likewise, with that great purpose statement of Colossians chapter number 1, verses 28 and 29, lived a purpose-filled life. And you and I as Christians, when we let the gospel work in our lives, we have that purpose revealed unto us. Many in this world are walking aimlessly, walking without a direction and don't know where they're going or what they're doing. They find a little happiness here or there with those fleeting pleasures of life. And, and even as Hebrews chapter 11 talks about the fleeting pleasures of sin. But you and I as Christians have direction and purpose. It's the gospel that produces that in us. It's not anything in this world that produces that in us. And if we're living a life that says, I'm not so sure what my purpose is, you may not be allowing the gospel to be working in your heart and in your life. The gospel produces, verse number 14, indebtedness. Paul says, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10, By the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul not only felt an indebtedness to those that were without the gospel, but he also felt an indebtedness to God. There are many accounts of people whose lives were saved by someone else. Maybe someone was in a burning building. Someone came in and rescued them and brought them out of that burning building. And they've said, I, I owe my life to that individual. I, I'm indebted to them for the rest of my life. That's how Paul felt. When it came to being a gospel preacher, when it came to being one that was indebted to God and to, to the Jews and to the Greeks as one who could share the gospel with them, is it any different when it comes to the gospel in our lives? Paul could not help but look at the gospel and realize that he owed his life to it, that he was indebted to the Jews and to the Greeks to share it with them. Is that something that could be said of our own life? That I cannot help when I think of what Jesus has done for me, but to feel like I owe my life to Jesus, to God, produces an indebtedness. When I truly know Jesus and his gospel, I'll be indebted to the cause of the cross. The gospel produces, verse number 15, a readiness to preach the gospel. As we said before, we felt indebted because of what Jesus has done for us. We can't help but feel that. And likewise, we can't help but be ready to preach the gospel, to preach the good news of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 21, verse 13, Paul said, For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of our Lord Jesus. As one who is indebted, 
He's also one that was ready to preach, even if it meant, he said, even if it meant me being bound, but also even if it meant me being brought to my death. How do I know that that type of readiness comes from the gospel? Because Jesus was also one that readily spoke the truth. He was one that readily did what was right. He was one that readily went to the cross. He wasn't one that shied away. He wasn't one that, that looked for opportunities to get out of doing what he was supposed to be doing as fulfilling the will of the Father. Instead, he prayed, yes, let this cup pass for me, but nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Jesus was all about the will of the Father, and he was readily willing to do what was needed to be done. Likewise, Paul was readily willing to preach the gospel. When someone allows the gospel to work in their life, it positively affects their ability to be able to share it with others as well. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 11, Paul says, Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, that you might be ready to preach, if you will, even against the wiles of the devil. When the gospel works in our life, when we put on the whole armor of God, prepares us, it trains us, it molds us into the soldier that we ought to be for the cross. That is one that is ready to, as Paul said, open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, that being the tail end of that great whole armor of God section in Ephesians chapter number 6. When I truly know Jesus and his gospel, I'll be ready to preach the gospel no matter what the cost. And finally, as we get to verse number 15, the gospel produces unashamedness. It it produces unashamedness. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also in verse number 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. How do I know that the gospel produces unashamedness? Because when I look at Jesus and I see his words, I find that Jesus requires it. Jesus requires unashamedness. Have you ever thought about the fact that to be ashamed of the gospel is unrighteousness? It's sinfulness? Why is it that I say that? Mark chapter 8, verse 38, Jesus says, For whoever is ashamed of me... And my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. I cannot help but feel indebted. I cannot help but be ready to preach the gospel. But I cannot also help but to realize that I cannot be ashamed of the gospel. It would do us well to examine our life, to examine whether or not we are ashamed of the gospel because we might need to ask the question, does Paul need to say to you, like he did to Timothy, therefore do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me of his prisoner, as his prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings of the gospel according to the power of God, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8. Instead, when the gospel is working in our life, we can say this confidently, just as Paul said to Timothy, nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. I'm not ashamed because I know, because I'm confident, because no matter what comes in my life, confident that he is going to keep me and guard me until that day, till that very end, 
that Jesus is able to protect me. The gospel produces many things in this life. It produces thankfulness. It produces prayerfulness. It produces servant-mindedness. It produces a desire for Christian fellowship. And, and the list goes on as you look at your note sheet. There's a number of things that the gospel produces. I need to ask the question if it's really working in my life. Because it's not a matter of whether or not it's powerful. It's God's power into salvation, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, as we mentioned at the very beginning. But as we think about Jesus' parable of, of the sower, and thinking about the gospel being that seed, and the fact that the seed falls on different types of soil, some hard and some stony and some, some fertile, it's not that the gospel is not able to produce fruit in your life from that seed, that small little seed, but whether or not your heart is willing to accept it. And so when we ask the question, how can I tell if the gospel is working in my life, this isn't a, a question of how can I tell if the gospel is powerful enough to work in my life. Instead, it's, it's how can I tell if I'm allowing the gospel to work in my life? Am I prayerful? Am I a servant? Do I desire Christian fellowship? Am I ready to preach the gospel? Am I ashamed? Those things help us to answer whether or not I'm allowing with my heart for the gospel to have a positive effect in my life. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, as we said a moment ago, it's the gospel of the, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We think about the fact that Jesus was brought back to life as a first fruits of sorts. And you and I, likewise, as New Testament Christians, have the opportunity, as Paul says in Romans chapter 6, to be born again, to be brought back to life, to walk in newness of life. Question for you this evening, are you truly walking in newness of life? If you're not a Christian, we want you to truly walk in newness of life, to become one, to have those sins washed away. But if you are a Christian here this evening, and, and most of us are, it may be the case that you've looked at these questions this evening and you've, you've seen, I don't know if the gospel is working in my life. I don't know that I've ever truly had a life that was walking in newness of life. If that's the case tonight, we want you to make it right. We ask that you come together as we stand and as we sing.